Good evening and welcome to the September 2021 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Tonight we take an in-depth look at a controversy over the rainbow flag that's been brewing in the Castro neighborhood of San Francisco. A group of young gay activists are pushing to replace the original six-color rainbow flag with a progress flag. Now, you've likely seen this flag flying in past pride seasons. This is the flag that includes the black and brown stripe to represent marginalized LGBTQ plus communities of color, along with the colors of pink, light blue, and white, which are used in the transgender flag. Now, these activists claim that the original flag created by Gilbert Baker back in 1978 has become outdated, but the Gilbert Baker Foundation sees it differently. The huge flagpole at the corner of Castro and Market flying Gilbert Baker's rainbow pride flag rises from a monument dedicated to the flag's creator. It's more than just a flag. It's a history. It's an art installation, and it's a landmark. Tonight, we talk with Charlie Beal. He was a close friend of Gilbert Baker and is currently the president of the Gilbert Baker Foundation. So stay with us. It's all coming up next right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, September 26th, 2021. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of September 26, 2021. Comedian Cameron Esposito is among the thousands speaking up and speaking out against Bennett Academy. This is a prestigious Catholic school outside of Chicago because the school decided to not hire a woman initially because the woman has a wife. Esposito, an alum of the Academy who graduated in 2000, said on Twitter, quote, actively harming children in the name of faith is monstrous, especially because this coach would have been a positive role model for queer students who may not be able to safely be out. If you can't hire the best person for the job, maybe you shouldn't be a school, end quote. The woman who had her job rescinded is Amanda Camus, although neither her nor the Bennett Academy has publicly confirmed that they refused to hire her. The Chicago Tribune received a veiled statement from a school spokesperson claiming Bennett Academy respects the dignity of all human beings to follow their conscience and to live lives of their choosing. Likewise, as a Catholic school, we employ individuals whose lives manifest the essential teachings of the church in order to provide education and faith formation of the young people entrusted to our care. On September 20th, more than 40 people from the school community, mostly alum, and also parents and students protested outside the school's campus. The day before, Sunday, head of the school, Stephen Marsh, issued a statement claiming that wearing rainbow colors can be, quote, confusing and ambiguous, end quote, and suggested that kids will look at them because they're a wonderful kaleidoscope of colors. The day of the protest, the Bennett Academy community, a school of about 1,500 students, delivered a petition with a reported 2,200 signatures objecting to the Academy's decision, stating we're ashamed of your narrow interpretation of Christian morality. And last week, President Joe Biden honored activists and service members who worked tirelessly to repeal the discriminatory Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy that prevented gay, lesbian, and bisexual people from serving openly in the military. The law passed by Congress under former President Bill Clinton was repealed 10 years ago last week under former President Barack Obama. President Biden voted against it as a senator and championed the push for repeal on behalf of the administration. President Biden said, quote, 10 years ago today, a great injustice was remediated and a tremendous weight was finally lifted off the shoulders of tens of thousands of dedicated American service members. 
And he went on to say, quote, the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which formerly barred gay and lesbian and bisexual service members from openly serving, helped move our nation closer to its foundational promise of equality, dignity, and opportunity for all, end quote. The president said, quote, it was the right thing to do, and it showed once again that America is at its best when we lead not by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. On this day and every day, I'm thankful for all of the LGBTQ plus service members and veterans who strengthen our military and our nation, end quote. And here in San Francisco, nearly three years after it first weighed in on a proposal to revamp Harvey Milk Plaza, a panel of local art experts has given its support to the latest design for a public parklet in the city's Castro district. At its September 20th meeting, the Civic Design Review Committee of the San Francisco Arts Commission unanimously voted 5-0 to zero to back the current modifications for the project. The committee members praised the new design as a breath of fresh air and an astounding change from what they voted on before. The Friends of Harvey Milk Plaza revealed its new proposal for the entrance to the Castro Muni Station. This is located at the corner of Castro and Market last June, following another round of community meetings to elicit feedback on its plans. According to the Bay Area Reporter, the site would be reconfigured to make it more accessible for people with mobility issues. A new spiral podium feature will be built at the entrance of the plaza at the intersection of Castro and Market. And a smaller stairway leading to the underground subway station would be constructed. State Senator Scott Weiner has secured $2.5 million for the project. You can see pictures of this new design online at harveymilkplaza.org. And last week, we reported that Terry Beswick stepped down as the executive director of the GLBT Historical Society. And this week, it was announced that Beswick will now take on leadership of the Golden Gate Business Association. This is the world's first LGBTQ chamber of commerce. Beswick is stepping in as the executive director, which has been vacant for several years. The Golden Gate Business Association was founded in 1974. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg On June 25, 1978, a young artist and hippie from San Francisco named Gilbert Baker raised for the first time a 30-foot by 60-foot huge hand-dyed rainbow flag, and almost instantly the rainbow pride flag became recognized as a symbol for the LGBTQ community. Now since that time, the flag has become a symbol of power around the world. Dozens of other flags representing bisexuals, transgender people, bears, and many other parts of our community have been created. But Gilbert Baker's original rainbow flag will always be the flag that represents all of us. Gilbert passed away on March 31st of 2017, and his good friend Charlie Bill now oversees the Gilbert Baker Foundation and his legacy. He finished a memoir that Gilbert started titled Rainbow Warrior, My Life in Color. And he's here to tell us about the book and more about Gilbert Baker. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to have you here and to talk about this uh, incredible piece of history and to educate our listeners around it. Uh, but before we get talking about Gilbert Baker and the flag, uh, tell us a little about your background and how you met Gilbert. Uh, thanks, Greg. I'm. Uh, my name is Charlie Beale. Like I said, I'm uh, uh, actually a feature film and television art director. Uh, you know, with somebody who studied art history in school, I was a gay kid. I was in the community theater. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
I uh, got interested in set design very early. I ended up in New York. I ended up working for a designer who did both film and television. And, you know, that's the early 80s. And I just, then it was off to the races. I was blessed to work with really, you know, people like like Mike Nichols and uh, Ridley Scott and, you know, just wonderful uh, directors, producers, and actors on some really great projects. Um, so my career has been blessed. And right in the middle of it, I was at my brother's house in New York. Uh, I have an older brother who lives there. He's an old hippie. And some of his hippie friends from San Francisco would come to visit from time to time, Greg, and who showed up at Gilbert Baker, creator of the Rainbow Flag, and had these sketches for this mile-long flag going all the way up Fifth Avenue. And I was so impressed. And I, we just hit it off. And uh, uh, I said, I want to work on that. Uh, it's a funny thing because he loved my background. I saw his sketches and I said, Gilbert, you know, that's a, an air, what you've drawn is an aerial shot of Fifth Avenue with the flag. And he says, really? I said, you need a helicopter on the day of uh, this event. And I, to be honest, I did. I put him in touch with my friend Al Cirillo at National Helicopter. And on the day of the event, there's a photographer up in a helicopter normally doing movies, uh, shooting that mile-long flag. And the rest is history. We became best of friends. Uh, he would stay at my place frequently when he was uh, in, in between New York and San Francisco. And uh, eventually I went to Rome with him for World Pride 2000. I went all around the country with him at Pride events. I spent a lot of time in uh, LA and San Francisco mm -hmm. with him. And eventually was lucky enough to go with him to the White House to present a rainbow flag an original oh, wow. and dyed hand sewn eight color rainbow flag to president Barack Obama. So amazing. Uh, he was a fabulous guy. He was a, a, a crazy drag queen who always brought just joy and love. Uh, you know, one thing people, you know, don't un understand much about maybe that era it was the end of the hippie era and boy, he was knee deep in, peace and love and justice and uh, uh, and he was to the till his last days he really was he ended every phone call with I love you Charlie every phone call that's mm. how he did. so uh, he was that kind of person well he in his life uh, started a memoir I've got it right here called the Rainbow Warrior my life in color and you had the opportunity to finish it so you learned a lot about your good friends. Where did he come from and how did he get involved in the in the community in San Francisco? Well, uh, it's it's in the early chapters of the book. Um, he grew up in Kansas. His father was uh, had come out of World War II. Uh, he went on the GI Bill studying to be a lawyer. He eventually became a judge. Uh, and he they settled in a town called Parsons, Kansas. Uh, and uh, he was there right through high school. And he was interested in art. He once got caught dressing up in his aunt's ball gown. He got scolded for that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he, he really, he kind of stuck out as being an effeminate, creative, artistic young man in a very conservative part of our country. And uh, I think to get out, you know, it was the time of the Vietnam War. And although he was anti-war at heart, he just thought, it's better than Parsons. And he enlisted in the army within weeks, realized it was a huge mistake. 
he was so bullied and he really thought he was going to be killed. I mean, he was, the, the, the things he describes in his book are shocking. He was treated horribly. And so uh, he thought he would try to be a conscientious objector. His family freaked out, but some kind officer, you know, took pity on him, I guess, and said, why don't you become a medic? Because medics don't have to carry guns. And he's like, okay. And, you know, and, and, and they sent him to medic school. And where did they post him? But San Francisco, California in 1970, 71. I mean, he landed mm. right in the holes, you know, that, just after the summer of love. And that whole, you know, uh, growing, you know, women's movement, the gay rights movement, the peace movement. Uh, and he became involved in all of them very quickly. I think, you know, uh, he finished his tour of duty. He got honorably discharged uh, working at the Presidio in the army. And before long, the hair was down to his shoulders and he's wearing tie dye and, you know, all sorts of crazy, crazy hippie clothes. And he starts designing hippie clothes and he starts studying sewing at the local community college. And uh, that led him to making uh, gowns for drag queens, but it also led him to making uh, banners for political marches. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he was politicized, believe it or not, in the early uh, feminist movement, the women's rights movement. Those were the first demonstrations he went to, you know. Right. And uh, uh, so that led him, though, to working uh, with the, the, the gay, the gay uh, movement there. Uh, um, and uh, the rest is history, you know. Well, in your, the community college you talked about for our local listeners was City College of San Francisco. He studied That's there. That's correct. Right? And do you know the professor that taught him sewing is still alive? I just got Amazing. his number from a friend. I'm going to reach out to him and see if he remembers. I'm sure he does because apparently Gilbert caused quite a stir in his class because he would always show up dressed like Mick Jagger, or David Bowie. And <laughs> all they wanted him to do, to do was to make a gray flannel suit. And he's like, he wasn't interested in that. Let me tell you. Incredible. So I guess we, it's fair to say that we owe the creation of the rainbow flag to the United States Army. Uh, yeah, in a funny way, um, because it did lead him there. Now, Gilbert had dreamed of moving to New York. He wanted to be the next Halston, the next, you know, Yves Saint Laurent. You know, I mean, that was his dream initially. But he did end up in San Francisco because of the army. And I think because of that, you know, um, San Francisco is unusual. It's I always call it it's like a lightweight boxer that, that boxes above its weight, meaning the LGBTQ movement wasn't that big at the time that, you know, you could kind of know everybody. You just go down to the center and pretty soon he's on the decorations committee for the 77 parade, which is a year before they made the rainbow flag. And uh, he got to know Harvey Milk and Harvey Milk, you know, the legendary uh, uh, politician there who was, you know, martyred uh, uh, about a year later, uh, was one of the people that urged Gilbert as an artist and somebody who sewed he urged Gilbert to come up with a new symbol for uh, gay rights. Uh, up until then, they were trying hard to rebrand the pink triangle, but you know, it was a downer. It was put on us by the Nazis. And uh, some people tried to use the Lambda, but it was very obscure. But this conversation was going on, not just between Harvey and Gilbert, but really across the country. But, you know, Gilbert's the person that really, uh, uh, I think, thought long and hard about it. And 
he was out one night at, at the movies and just noticed those big flagpoles at the United Nations Plaza at, uh, in San Francisco with the big American flags. And he decided that's it. That's the symbol we need. We need a flag. Hmm. And a lot of people don't give him that credit because with all these myriad flags out nowadays, it all started because he said that sim- symbol should not be a triangle or a lambda. It should be a flag. It should be a flag. And soon after that, he was out dancing and he was just marveling at the uh, the diversity of the whole crowd, you know, young, old, black, white, Latino, women, men, gay, straight. And he thought it was, you know, the rainbow of humanity. And that's it. That's the idea came to him. Uh, it was an epiphany. And he, he writes about it very passionately in his book that he knew now that the that the drag queens that had fought back at Stonewall would now have their own flag. That's how he put it. So um, he he got busy and assembled a lot of volunteers. He convinced the um, Pride Foundation, which was uh, in charge of the parade in San Francisco then to give them $1,000. They bought yards and yards of beautiful natural cotton. Uh, he had a good friend, Lynn Siegerblom, AKA Fairy Argyle was her name then, uh, known as the Rainbow Fairy, by the way. And uh, uh, she um, was a master dyer. So he really leaned on her a lot. Mm -hmm. He learned a lot from her. His friend, James McNamara, who had studied uh, sewing at the FIT in New York, the Fashion Institute of Technology, was great with the sewing machine like Gilbert. So they got busy. 30 volunteers came and went, you know, big vats of dyed fabric, you know, leaking all over the place and running down the side of the building. They were up on the roof trying to get this stuff, get this stuff to work. And eventually they took it all to a laundromat in the middle of the night and rinsed it out and, and, uh, and uh, went back, ironed it up, sewed it together and made two beautiful 30 foot high by 60 foot wide, magnificent, huge flags. And uh, they took them out um, three days before the parade for a test flight. And it was a good thing they did because the winds of San Francisco, as you know, are, of course. Are, are pretty fierce at times. And they, their friend Walter Kaplan was a lawyer. He had a cafe right there. That building is still there uh, by United Nations Plaza. And he had managed, he knew people in city government. He got the keys uh, to the flagpole. And they raised him up and uh, the wind hit them really hard and pop, pop, pop. All the grommets started popping out and the flags started ripping. So they pulled him down. And at the time, Gilbert was living in a building called the Clown Hotel. He was making outfits for the clowns. He had a sewing studio there Mm -hmm. as well as the big studio they put up in the uh, community center. And he knew this business down the street called Paramount Flag Company. So they bundled up their ripped flags and take them to Paramount Flag Company. And Paramount Flag did a, a little rescue mission. They sewed a piece of rope into the heading as, uh, as opposed to the you know normal kind of jute right. rubbing a flag would have. And they stitched it and stitched it and reinforced it. And they put their Paramount uh, grommets in it. And those are the flags that went up on the morning of uh, June 25th, 1978. As Gilbert likes to say, you know, as soon as it left his arms, he said he knew just like that. He knew 
He knew what his life was going to be. He knew because people got it instantly. They right. instantly said, we have a flag and that's it. And, uh, you know, he loved the rainbow. He said, you know, it belongs in the sky. It's of the sky. And he loved the infinite uh, spectrum that it represented. And yeah. this is something they talked about, Greg, at the time. Uh, and he talks about it in his book. They had discussions about, you know, is it an L, L stripe and a G stripe and a B stripe and a T stripe? And they decided to assign to the colors instead of identities, they assign them elements, elements that are in us all, like sex and love and sunlight and healing and magic and, and on. And uh, uh, for that way, that, that it would always, always be relevant. It would, it, would, it would be there, would grow with our community because these are elements that are in all of us as opposed to, you know, a flag that really is kind of stuck in one identity. And I love that. And I think that's the piece of history that a lot of folks have forgotten. You know, you, you mentioned that everybody got it in 78 because it was new and Gilbert was there and there was an understanding about what it meant. But, you know, I'm always amazed with my own students about how many of them have no idea about what the real meaning of those individual colors are. It has nothing to do with whether you're white or whether you're brown or whether you're black, whether you're female, male. It has to do with elements that are part of all of us. And I love that description of it. It transcends well, everyone. Yeah, there's a great interview that a local reporter did, uh, Leanne Menendez. I think it was in 2017 in February, right before he died. You can see it online on the NBC local affiliate. And I mean, he basically said, he said, we were hippies. <laughs> These are, you know, they believed in love and peace and magic and the spirit and serenity. And, sure. and that's why they chose those things. They really, you know, there was a purity to their optimism then. I think people are pretty cynical nowadays. And it's, and even Gilbert, I mean, a couple of years after they created the flag, Ronald Reagan was president. You know what I mean? And, right. and, and we went through kind of 40 years of a, a pretty dark journey before, you know, people kind of uh, woke up again recently and started realizing that these principles that people believed in then are important, you know, right. and that, that, that it's important to be, to love people and to believe in peace and to be optimistic uh, and to be hopeful. And that's, that's what his flag was for. It was to give people hope. Harvey Milk's message was give people hope. You know, he talked about the kid in Altoona or that kid in a wheelchair in Minneapolis who, who wanted to come out of the closet. Right. All he needed was hope. And Gilbert thought, you know, if they see this flag somewhere and they know that it's, it, it's for, for, for queer people, that that'll give them hope. They'll go, wow, there's a visible flag downtown uh, in, in my hometown on a cafe. That means there's more people like me out there and they're not afraid. They're not afraid to be out of the closet. Right. Because, you know, people ask me, who's the flag for? Is it, is it for trans people or is it for uh, gays, old gay white men like me? And I say, no, it's for sexual and gender minorities. It's for anybody else out there that's born into a closet needs to come out. And that's why the flag's there. It's to help people take that, that first first step out of the darkness of the closet into a life of light and love and liberation. And if, if, if seeing it on TV or like I say, or seeing it in a parade or in a march, uh, if, that, if that gives somebody enough confidence to help come out of the closet, then, then Gilbert's mission is, is, is accomplished. 
And it's accomplished each time it happens. And it's still happening all over the world. Right. And it can be on the front window of a store. Correct. You know, in some town that you're visiting where you're unsure about where you are and what the environment's like. And you can see that and, and it's identifiable. The original flag had eight colors in it, so it's even had an, an evolution. It was a pretty early evolution into uh, into its popularity. Talk about how it went from eight to six. Well, uh, Greg, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, I remember that Paramount flag I told you about, that company down the street from the Clown Hotel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Gilbert uh, knew right away that he and his hippie friends could not make enough flags to meet the overwhelming demand that happened after that first parade. Uh, so he went to Paramount Flag and uh, uh, he got a job there. And uh, uh, one thing that came up was uh, uh, in 1979, just a year later, he wanted to make 400 rainbow banners to go on the what's called the Path of Gold. It's all those antique light posts that run up and down Market Street. And uh, he knew that if he could put these banners up, that people would know, hey, our flag's back. That's it. You know, it, it would kind of cement that image in people's minds. So it wasn't just kind of one and done, you mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. uh, so Paramount Flag, the people there, the president of Paramount Flag had to take him into the office and say, that's really great, Gilbert. But we ran out of pink fabric and turquoise fabric a long time ago. And the official palette for, for flag companies all over the world was about 24 colors. So um, he had to make a decision, bit of a Sophie's choice. How do you give up sex and magic as he likes to say? <laughs> but you know, he knew that he had to make that choice and go with the six available colors or it wouldn't grow. Mm -hmm. If it was had to be handmade and hand dyed for every flag, it would never have grown as quickly and as, uh, uh, as, uh, as far afield as it needed to, to keep up with our growing movement. You know, this is 78, 79, AIDS came in, in in 1980, 81. People needed this, this symbol of hope and we needed the flag industry uh, uh, to do it. So Gilbert uh, spent 10 years working in the flag industry, and uh, I, he likes to say that the that the uh, the red the, the the sex and love are in the red now, and that instead of the turquoise, that magic and uh, spirit are in the uh, blue. So uh, they're still there; they're just in different colors, but the meaning is there, and mm -hmm. that's what counts. So it was a compromise. But it was a compromise that meant that symbol would spread and by 1985 would be adopted by the Interpride organization of, uh, of, of pride organizations from around the country. They came together, I believe, in, um, in Fort Lauderdale that year and uh, adopted the rainbow flag. New York City adopted it in 1986 uh, and uh, Heritage of Pride adopted it that year. And, um, and, the, and it just grew and grew. Uh, there, were, there was a gay Olympics in, the, in San Francisco in the early 80s, and Gilbert was hired to decorate the stage. And of course, he right. did it all with rainbow flags. And it was that kind of you know, relentless work. He worked in the flag industry, I think I said uh, 10 years, and he worked doing other things. He decorated City Hall for then Mayor Dianne Feinstein for the 
visit by the premier of China or the king of Spain, you know, he would do crazy big, beautiful decorations, all, you know, with Paramount flag. And then he got the commission to decorate the 1984 Democratic Convention at Moscone Center, which he, you know, um, it's funny. By then, Gilbert was also a sister of perpetual indulgence. The gay nuns, you know, yep. who do a lot of street theater, but they also did a lot of fundraising for AIDS and other social causes. So he got his uh, he got his gay nuns to come in and help decorate the Moscone Center. <laughs> I don't know if their Democratic Party was quite ready for that, but uh, he was a many faceted person, and he wasn't one to hide his light under a bushel. You know, if he wanted to sew in a dress, he would sew in a dress, and uh, if he wanted to dress as a nun to go to a meeting, he would do it. And uh, you know, he was a he really was one of our first gender queer people uh, in the sense that, you know, he would wear makeup and have a beard at the same time, right. and long hair with, uh, you know, with a cheerleader skirt and and uh, go-go boots with pom-poms and a tube top, you know, all, you know, kind of male, female, all mixed together. And he was that way his whole life. Yeah, uh, so, I, I think that's one of the really interesting things I found throughout his book is he talks about that aspect of his persona and who he identified as. And there wasn't the same language then that there is now. Uh, no, no, that. people, you know, they, they used to say transsexual, which, of course, technically is an impossible term. You can't right. change your sex and you can't change the sex of who you're attracted to. Right. You can change your gender or express your gender differently. And although uh, Gilbert never went as far as, uh, you know, taking hormones and uh, having surgeries, uh, he did. He definitely was into gender expression by uh, wearing makeup or dressing uh, in, in feminine clothes one day <laughs> and the next day he'd wear a colorful suit. So, uh, you know, he was that uh, he was that free and liberated uh, and I loved him for it. You know, awesome. I think anybody who's gone to the Castro has seen that gigantic flagpole. And the big rainbow flag that's there. And if you actually walk up to it, you'll see a nice plaque and some information about Gilbert. And he was instrumental in getting that flag put there. And it's a significant spot. Uh, tell us a little about that. When did that happen and how did it come about? Well, that flagpole is the second most photographed landmark in San Francisco. So it's, 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 a, it's a major piece of uh, art. Um, Gilbert had dreamed of having a flagpole there for years back in the early 90s. And at the 1997 Castro Street Fair, he was with his friend Jeff Sheehy, uh, Supervisor Sheehy, who at the time was the president of the Harvey Milk Democratic Club. Mm -hmm. And who should show up there but uh, Mayor Willie Brown, Magic Mayor, as they used to call him. And Gilbert, like went after him like a bee on honey and we went right up to him and just immediately started pitching his idea this dream he had of a giant rainbow flag that would there be there you know 24 7 every day of the year you know it's this great you know symbol of hope always visible and uh after about pitching him for about five minutes uh willie brown looked at one of his aides and said let's make it happen and Greg, within six weeks, by the uh, 20th anniversary of Harvey Milk's uh, historic election on November 7th, 1997, uh, 
that flagpole was up and that flagpole was raised for the first time. And it uh, has flown there ever since. Uh, they've been a couple, you know, without pretty much constantly since then. And um, it's, in, it's important, uh, you know, because it was something he designed. He placed it on the center line of Market Street so that you could see it all the way down to the ferry building at the Embarcadero. He figured it had to be 70 feet high so you could see it from certain vantage points all over San Francisco. He did wind shear studies so that the footing, he knew how deep the footing had to be in the concrete. He knew about shimming a flagpole in that concrete. He knew all this stuff, he did drawings. And so, you know, when, when he finally got to Willie Brown, he had it all figured out. So this is not a community flagpole, really. Um, it was paid for and installed by the Department of Public Works, but it was an art installation designed by Gilbert Baker. Yeah. Uh, you know, his art hangs in the Museum of Modern Art and the London Design Museum. It's been in the Vuitton Museum in Paris. It's in the Kansas History Museum, the Tang Museum. I could go on and on. Uh, you know, Gilbert was more than anything an artist. And I know it's sometimes hard for people to wrap their heads around the idea that a flagpole with a flag is a work of art, but that's what that is. And it's his, it's, it's his only remaining art installation on this planet. And, and we were, are trying very hard to preserve it yeah. because uh, some people, they, you know, they think it's a community flagpole. Let's put up this flag or that flag. And, um, you know, we see it differently. We see it as a, a work of art by a great artist and a, a great activist who gave his life, heart and soul to this community, to liberating, you know, millions, millions of people around this globe. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think just as we look at, just as the neighborhood looks at the importance of, let's say, the Pink Triangle Park, and remembering what happened in the Holocaust so many decades and years ago, you would never think about or should never think about replacing that because there's something new that's come along. That's a piece of history. And we need to preserve that history so that young people and old who don't know the history can learn it. And I think the same thing is true with that giant rainbow flag. Yeah, there, Greg, there's you know, unmistakable history there. That's right, Greg. And, you know, our my good friend, Dustin Lance Black, he's the Academy Award screenwriter, yeah. wrote... Uh, the movie Milk, uh, which, by the way, I was very proud to be the art director on that movie and uh, got to know a lot of San Francisco. And I really got to know the, the neighborhood and the history of it so much while making that movie. Uh, but Lance, uh, you know, has joined our, our cause to try to landmark that. And, you know, he told me, he said, you know, this kind of quote, I'm quoting him. He said that, you know, even as our symbols evolve, we can still preserve our history. And exactly. that it's important that we honor the activists of, you know, all races, all genders, all ages who have fought for the freedoms we enjoy today. They have fought under that rainbow flag. And that even as we celebrate new symbols and this foundation has probably done more than anybody, especially in San Francisco, to uh, celebrate these symbols. We, we produced an exhibit. We produced our Emojis of Pride campaign. And uh, we believe that they're all these beautiful new community flags must be flown there. There's room in the sky for all of them, Greg, but you can fly those flags and still honor your history at the same time. Right. 
So uh, I agree. Uh, you know, Patrick Carney is another great supporter of landmarking the flag at Harvey Milk Plaza. He's the creator of the Pink Triangle Project, and he was also the second recipient of the annual Gilbert Baker Award. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, so people in the arts, they get it. Deborah Walker's on the Arts Commission. She supports the landmarking. Uh, Ron Sundergill, who uh, is the head of the um, of the whole regional National Parks Conservancy, they're trying to landmark the Harvey Milk's camera shop, and he is a, a great backer of supporting this, along with you know the legendary photographer Danny Nicoletta, who just was posting on Facebook saying you've got to landmark this flag. Uh, you know we have a lot of supporters, and we're just hoping that uh, people who who think maybe sometimes another flag should fly in that flagpole would, would reconsider and really embrace the idea of getting new flagpoles. And Greg, I'll say this, it took Gilbert years to get that flagpole. He worked tirelessly to do it. And I'm just saying that so people who want to fly other flags, you should know it's going to be hard work. Right. You know, it, it would be one thing to take somebody else's flagpole and put your flag up on it but you know you're doing that to somebody who who is a, an artist and created that flagpole and worked tirelessly and designed every element of that and his name is at the bottom like the signature on a painting right so uh i really support it our foundation has made a commitment to help and even fund putting up more flagpoles, you know, it's a matter of finding room in the sky for all of them, not uh, having one replace the other. And I think the big difference is uh, all the other amazing flags that are out there are identity group specific, where the rainbow flag transcends them all. So it's sort of, I view it as sort of the mothership, the, the mother flag for us all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, Monica Helms, who created the trans flag, is a very good friend. Uh, she's actually on the board of the Gilbert Baker Foundation. We had a meeting two days ago, and she went on about this. She said, you have to listen, that these other flags are all like the state flag, and Gilbert's flag is like the American flag. And That's a great analogy. Monica. Monica is a veteran. She was in the military for 10 years. She was key in getting, uh, you know, the uh, uh, rights of trans people in the military. She's a great advocate for uh, trans people, but I tell you, she adores Gilbert and loves his flag. And she sees it the same way. It's the mother of them all and the rest of their children. And, and that's how we feel. I mean, I don't want to patronize or anything, but I love all these flags. And we actually feel protective of the designers who've designed them. Because some of them have taken a lot of, you know, uh, uh, controversy. Um, my friend Amber Hikes uh, created the More Colors flag in Philly in 2017, and that has the black and the brown stripe. Right. And she made that out of protest that for two reasons. The local pride organizations just were not sensitive to or open to the needs of people of color. They weren't. They really were really serving part of the community, not all the community. And the other problem was that uh, some, some young black kids got kicked out of a gay bar there. And so she designed this other flag and it's a, it's a beautiful flag. It's really is there as a, to, to start a conversation about the intersection between race and sexuality and gender. Right. That it's different for somebody who is, you know, to, to be black and gay 
than it is to be a white and gay. It is different, just it is different between black and white in our whole society. And so it's a, it's a beautiful design, but you know, she had received death threats within a week, you know, and hmm. uh, it's terrible that there really is racism and transphobia within our community. Uh, it needs to be addressed. Uh, Dan Quasar's progress flag is, is you know, he, he created it, I'll quote Dan, to force a conversation about racism and transphobia in our community, meaning the LGBTQ plus queer community. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a good design for that, but that's what it is. But what it is, is it is essentially a protest flag that it elevates certain identities to make us discuss them. Right. Um, on the other hand, people who see the progress, right, they love it, they get excited about it. I get it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful flag, but because of how it's designed and how Dan intended, I don't think you know it really serves as a replacement because here come you know I, I'm working on a bisexual visibility project the foundation right now and one of the people says they see the progress flag and they feel like it's a kick in the gut because it excludes the colors of the bisexual flag that Michael Page designed. Well, now you're in a little bit of a pickle <laughs> because sure. uh, you know as soon as you attach identity or emphasize one over the other you've excluded somebody, That's whether right. you like it or not. And um, Greg, by my last count, I think you'd need a flag with about 41 or 42 stripes on it if you wanted to include every little microscopic part of our community. And um, it's, it's great. Monica's flag, it's great. The trans flag is beautiful. It's been around the world. It's, it's been on the North Pole, you know what I mean? It's, it's there to have for trans people to celebrate their pride and for people to celebrate trans pride and support them. But like she said, it's like a state flag that is under the umbrella of right. the national flag, right. or as Gilbert used to call it, the rainbow flag was a tribal, a global tribal flag. And uh, I think his genius was not um, assigning identities to uh, stripes and colors but uh, elements that are within all people. Right. And everybody can embrace it. And he didn't make a penny on this, right? He, this, this was a flag that belongs to everybody as well. He didn't copyright it. He didn't trademark it. I mean, there's rainbow everything. I saw a, a box of rainbow-colored Oreos you know, this pride <laughs> season. And I just had to think, I wonder what Gilbert would think about that. Well, that's funny because... I'm in Provincetown right now, and I remember in the 90s walking down the street with him, and he was just rolling his eyes at the rainbow coffee cups and keychains, and everybody's using it. People use it to market, and they use it to sell. They want gay dollars, uh, and sometimes they use it in a cynical way. Uh, uh, you know, Budweiser always does their rainbow <laughs> bottles every year, but we caught them this year donating money right. to politicians who are trying to pass anti-trans laws. So I joined Stacy Lentz, who's the owner of the Stonewall Inn, and we protested and we dumped Budweiser into the gutter right in front of all the cameras and the press. So, um, uh, it, you know, he did roll his eyes at it, but, you know, he did give it to the world freely. He knew that it needed to be disseminated across this planet. And if somebody was gonna try to control who could use it or who couldn't, you know, somebody had to pay 
he thought that would uh, not not really work. And it's funny because the more history of the rainbow flag I've learned, Greg, the more I have learned I don't know. And and one of the the things that I learned this year came out of the blue was our lawyer for the foundation was sending me some um, uh, articles and she found this article about the lawyer who who gave the rainbow flag to the world it was said and it turned out there's this lawyer um, that his name escapes me right now it'll come to me but it was a young lawyer in uh, uh, San Francisco and uh, Gilbert had made the first flags. Well, those flags, as I mentioned earlier, were paid for by the Pride Foundation. So this guy, Paul Hardman, who was uh, uh, the, the head of the foundation, actually wanted to trademark them because hmm. he saw they were so popular. And, you know, he was a bit of a Republican businessman, this Paul Hardman. Yes, there were Republicans running the Gay Pride Committee back then in 1978. And... <laughs> In San Francisco, if you can believe it. And uh, so, so Gilbert went into this office of uh, uh, this lawyer and, uh, and he, and this young lawyer at the corner of 18th Street and Castro. And he says, can you help me? And there's Gilbert with his long hair, makeup, go-go boots, the little skirt, the whole thing. <laughs> and he said, I need some help. Uh, this, this guy at the foundation, I created this rainbow flag and they're trying to uh, trademark it. And the lawyer um, was, was, was kind of interested. He said, well, what is it? Is it that you want to trademark it? You think it's your trademark? Not his? He says, no. Gilbert said, no, I want to give it to the world freely. And the guy was so impressed that he, want, that, that, that he wanted to give it away. So he got involved in the case. And they actually, you know, the, they had letters back and forth to Paul Hardman. And they managed to stop Hardman from trademark, trademarking hmm. the flag. And so from that point on, it was uh, in the public domain, freely given, free to be used, free to be abused. And uh, I mentioned um, I mentioned my friend Amber Heights, who created the More Colors flag, because we did this exhibit of community pride flags at Stonewall uh, in late May. And we did a live stream and she was laughing. She said, Charlie, she said, you know, a week after I created the the rainbow flag with the black and brown stripe i'm getting death threats and here it is you know four years later and you can buy it in target you know what i mean so i i i will also say that to everybody who becomes fascinated with the new rainbow flag or whatever new flag is out there trust me it's uh it's a pure wonderful symbol today and you're going to see it on a bottle of beer within about two or three years so uh sure you know uh corporations will market these things uh you can't stop them. And frankly, it helps to make it visible everywhere. It helps to know what companies and giant corporations are on our side. And I have to tell you this, the foundation, we are not anti-corporate. We're anti-bad corporations and we're anti-bad politicians who, who push for bills that would restrict our rights. But, uh, you know, during the, the, those dark years of the Trump administration, it was really corporations who stopped some of these really bad voting laws and these corporations that have stopped some of these anti-trans bathroom bills in Georgia and North Carolina. So, you know, a corporation can be a, a force for good as well uh, if they're respons responsible, you know, um, 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 citizens. But, sure. Uh, uh, so I don't think just bashing corporations is the answer. On the other hand, Gilbert used to just roll his eyes like when he saw the latest rainbow gadget, you know, somebody 
And and at the foundation, I get these these every year, and it's usually like in the winter leading up to June. It's some guy calls me and says, oh, I want to make some rainbow towels. Can you help me? Yeah. You, you, well, can I make rainbow towels? I can go ahead. You don't need us. It's in the public domain. As a matter of fact, um, Greg, just so you know, we don't sell flags. We don't sell rainbow anything. Uh, we don't believe in it. We think that would kind of compromise our brand as a foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not out to make money off of it. We're, we're lucky enough to have a few grants from some, some organizations that uh, 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 that uh, support our mission, and our mission is simple: it's to uh, to um, to to preserve Gilbert's legacy and to promote his legacy. You know, that's what we're here to do. We're here to teach people who he was and uh, what he stood for. Awesome. Talk about the use of the of the rainbow flag in different ways. Police departments all over this country. Uh, started in San Francisco, but all over this country now uh, for Pride Month are lining their uniform patch with the rainbow colors. And they're using those patches to raise money for local LGBT nonprofits, but also to show some solidarity and support for the community. It's it's amazing. And those po- those patches are immensely popular for trading. Um, I have noticed this. And through my friend Monica, who was in the military, I'm now a Facebook friend with a guy who designs these. I think they're beautiful. And I mean, that's that's exactly what Gilbert would have loved. Yeah, I'm sure he would have. He would have loved them all. They're, they're really great. Talk about the foundation's work internationally. Things are not great all over this world uh, for no, LGBT they're folks. Not. And, and I got to tell you, when I talked to my board member, uh, Aaron Stewart, he's in England, and uh, he's like, oh, all this discussion in San Francisco, but all these community flags. He says, Charlie, those are first world problems. You know, we have people out there that have much more serious problems. And so Aaron uh, uh, arranged a collaboration between the Gilbert Baker Foundation and report out the sexual and uh, orientation and gender initiative. Uh, it's an organization in England that collects data and does polling in countries and interviews in countries where it's illegal to be gay, where people are really being jailed and beaten and sometimes killed uh, for for uh, being their authentic self. So uh, we're doing a project with them called Flag in the Map, and we're asking people to uh, send a photograph of of how they use the rainbow flag, especially in countries where it's you know difficult to be visible. And whether they're blurring out their face or not using their name, uh, we're getting, you know, we just got a, a picture in from Cuba, you know, where they have this giant rainbow flag on the beach, mm. uh, you know, to, to show in the face of a government that doesn't want them to show that. Um, so we're doing this. We're going to collect these photographs into a, a book and uh, going to have a gallery show in London and New York next June uh, to help make these people visible, to make their stories visible to help other people um you know there's uh we we were working uh there's recently uh uh there was a first gay pride march at the kakuma refugee camp in in kenya and 200 people marched with three rainbow flags they got about a thousand feet and uh they were arrested and beaten the flags were taken and burned uh, uh, a young woman in Ghana tried to open their first uh, uh, LGBTQ community center, and it was shut down within a day, and the rainbow flag was ripped down. Um, and a lot of people, a story that 
finally got some press uh, in Iran, in Tehran. A young man was uh, kidnapped and beheaded by his own family in an honor killing because he committed the crime of coming out of the closet. Mm. And his friends, to protest his death, they are taking rainbow flags and they are running down the streets of Tehran, ducking in and out of buildings, afraid of getting caught. But they're taking and flying that flag and they're making it visible in the streets of Tehran in the memory of their friend who was killed, like I said, by his own family. So uh, we have a lot of work to do and we're really proud that the symbol Gilbert created has become the banner that uh, people want to fly when they want to fight back against these murders, mm. against these beatings, against these arrests, these imprisonments, imprisonments. These, uh, you know, these are the kind of things that the foundation uh, is beginning more and more involved in and, and that we are very passionate about. So please go to gilbertbaker.com, go look at the flag and the map and, uh, and participate tell your story, you know, because uh, you could end up in a book and you end up in a gallery and you might end up helping somebody because when they see your story and see how brave you are, then maybe, maybe somebody who's living in a country that's not so lucky will have the bravery to uh, step out of the closet as well and, and help fight for their rights. It's inspiring work. The book is called The Rainbow Warrior, My Life in Color. Where can people find it to read more about the history of Gilbert Baker and the rainbow flag? It's available from Chicago Review Press. It's also available on Amazon. It's just out in paperback. You can also go to gilbertbaker.com and uh, just scroll down. You'll see the book there as well. Fantastic. We will put a link to the book and to gilbertbaker.com on our website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page. Charlie, I think we could talk for hours and hours and hours uh, about the work that you're doing. It's It's fantastic. Um, and we look forward to supporting it and uh, to catching up with you again soon. Greg, thank you so much. I always enjoy talking to you, and I, I really thank you so much for helping us. You know, we're a small foundation. Uh, we're lucky enough to have, uh, uh, you know, the, the big voice of Gilbert Baker behind us, but uh, it really helps when people like you um, uh, help promote the work we're doing. Thank you so much. And a brilliant, beautiful voice he was. Matt Hoy, who's the lead man from the popular music group UB40, has dropped a new album, and he's allowed the Gilbert Baker Foundation to use the title track, Strong, as the theme song for the Flag and the Map project. Check it out. Not now, not ever. Just through the dark 
up our hour tonight. Tune in next Sunday night for Alpeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. Don't forget, you can always listen to our shows on demand on our website at outbeatnews.com, but also on all of the streaming services, iTunes, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCBFM comes from listeners and from Rocky, the free-range chicken, and Rosie, the original organic chicken. Air-chilled, non-GMO, locally raised right here in Sonoma County with no antibiotics ever. More information is available at rockyandrosie.com. And from Lost Creek Church in Santa Rosa, located at 427 Mendocino Avenue in downtown Santa Rosa, the Lost Church is an arts nonprofit and theater and proudly presents singer-songwriters Doug Jane and Van Solkov, Saturday, October 2nd at 7.30 p.m. For tickets and information, including safety protocols, visit thelostchurch.com. You're listening to 104.9 KRCB-FM Roanoke Park and KRCG-FM Windsor. Sonoma County's NPR station. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Beale Street Caravan is next.